0: episode 56 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live in studio from the vault on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is now inundated with student emails and student panic, John Sloat.
1: Yep, that's about the size of my day. Yeah,
0: yeah. So we are recording on a Monday and it's the first day of spring semester here.
1: Yeah, so spring semester, end of January, spring semester.
0: As we brace for an apparent snowstorm of four to eight inches in the next couple of days. Really? Yeah. Wow. So it's coming. It is. It hmm. is. So we, uh, like many institutions of higher learning, we pushed back our start date for spring semester to uh, accommodate the uh, surge, the post-Christmas COVID surge. And so- Getting ramped up and ready to go. Class is starting today. A little bit of a role reversal. You, not teaching this session. I'm not session.
1: teaching. No, not this session. I'll start in March. I'll teach again. But you are, though.
0: I, uh, yeah, I have two classes. Two this, classes? This what, are, what are you session. teaching? So we've got uh, Greek exegesis 1. Okay. So your students from yeah. last semester. Yeah. Eager bunch. Yes. And um, New Testament Bible exposition. Oh, nice. Very nice. And so we'll be going through Philippians. Okay.
1: You know, you know a little something about that.
0: Uh, a thing or two. Yeah. A thing
1: or You've two. You've dabbled.
0: I've, I've, I've dipped. I've dabbled. I've dawdled. Yeah. Oh, do- dawdled. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. So if you would like to connect with us, we have several ways you can do that. You can find us on Twitter at v Pod. You can find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, Various and Sundry Podcast. You can give us a like and a follow. And we do have an email address that we are renewing our commitment to monitoring various and sundry podcast at gmail.com and of course uh, we would love for you to go on to the podcast app uh, on your iOS device and um, leave us a five star rating and a review we are pushing two months now since the last review so just Throwing that out there for our listeners to take into account.
1: Yeah, yeah, and be sure to share the podcast far and wide. You know, talk about it at the water cooler or the yes. virtual water cooler. Or, yeah,
0: it is fun to see some listeners uh, doing that on Facebook. I can think of one in particular who, uh, on a semi-regular basis, will, will share a link to the oh, to the podcast. Very so nice. Someone we both know well. Hmm. So, um, in any case, um. Busy weekend in sports, or not so busy, but important, I should Important, yeah. NFL playoffs are going on. Yeah. Yeah. So conference championship games were this past weekend. And so now uh, we have our Super Bowl is set. The Chiefs beat the Bills in the AFC championship, and the Buccaneers beat the Packers, which is a bit of an upset there, I think. That was a 5-1. Yeah. Five seed. Yeah, so uh, Super Bowl is set. Chiefs and Buccaneers. Um, any uh, any takeaways from the games yesterday?
1: I think I think I was surprised at how easily the Buccaneers moved down the field, particularly in the first half. Um, I thought, I frankly thought the Packers had a better defense, and it didn't seem like the team from Tampa Bay was struggling with the cold weather at Lambeau. Um, I was a little I. I Got some chills, you know, thinking about. Ooh, they they look strong coming into the Super Bowl.
0: They do, they do. Um, there were some some strange uh, happenings in that game that I wanted to, to, to touch base with you about. The first was um, the uh, the inexplicable defensive lap at the end of the first half, where the Packers let the Basically, went man coverage with like six seconds left, and the defender allowed a wide receiver to get behind him for like a forty-yard touchdown pass. Yeah, uh,
1: Greg Williams was trending on Twitter uh, during that. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> I did. That makes sense. And people were just like, "Did Greg, Greg Williams get hired
0: by the Packers?" Yeah. Um, in this moment. Yeah. Um, another another uh, sort of piece of that game was at the end of the at the end of the fourth quarter. The uh, the Packers driving had it um, fourth and goal at about the eight, I think eight or nine, right right about there, with uh, like two two oh six two oh seven left maybe, and instead of going for it, they're down eight. Instead of going for it, they kicked the field goal.
1: Yeah, and um, not a good call.
0: No, bad call. it, It made no sense.
1: You got Aaron Rodgers back there. You might as well roll the dice and, and you need a touchdown to win anyway because uh, right. I, I, whether you kick the field goal or whether you get the touchdown, you still, you still would have needed a touchdown.
0: Correct. Correct. Though I, I will say that um, on the third end goal play, Aaron Rodgers made a pretty big mistake where if you remember this, he was scrambling to his right and there was wide open area for him to run probably score. If not, maybe get it down to like the one or the two. Mm -hmm. Instead, he throws back across his body into double coverage and the ball gets knocked down. So instead of it being fourth and goal, like either, instead of it either being a touchdown or fourth and goal, like the one or the two, it's fourth and goal at the eight. And uh, they decide to kick the field goal. So plenty of blame to go around, I think with Aaron Rodgers there. And then Matt LaFleur, the coach. Yeah, certainly
1: Matt LaFleur gets some, get some blame there. Um, what did you think of the other game? Uh, Actually, I didn't... one other thing okay. before that.
0: I just want to the, the, – it was a strangely officiated game, right? Because it was certainly inconsistent. That's the thing. Um, you know, uh, there was a big pass interference call mm-hmm. at the end of the game when it looked like the, uh, the Packers had gotten a stop. F- Would have forced um, Tampa Bay to punt. And um, they call pass interference. Super late flag. Very, very late flag. And it came from a weird spot on the field too. 30 yards behind the play. Mm -hmm. Now in fairness, um, he did have a good angle. When you showed the replay and there was a clear jersey grab. Like it was a clear penalty. And he probably had the best angle on it. But it just felt like he took forever to get that flag out of his pocket. And I think that the big issue there was the fact that um all game they let that kind of stuff go. And it was
1: a chippy game in the secondary for sure.
0: And there was a play at the end of the first half where um a Tampa Bay defender grabbed onto a Green Bay player uh wasn't called and the ball ended up getting intercepted. Mm-hmm. And that's what set up Tampa Bay scoring that touchdown at the very end of the, at the very end of the second quarter. So if you're a Green Bay fan You're salty for several reasons, (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: but you're salty at the refs. You're salty at your own players and coach. A thousand percent, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: and you know, I just don't like Tom Brady. So let's let's move on.
1: Yeah. Uh, Chiefs Bills.
0: (laughs) Yes. Uh, It was good to see Mahomes play. You know, you want you want to see the stars play there, and so glad that he cleared uh, the concussion protocol. You hope that everything's on the up and up with that, and there was no. Funny business to get the league's uh, poster child. He is now the face of the NFL.
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, uh,
0: into that game. So, um, and that was a game that was uh, that got chippy, really chippy late.
1: So, I had life group probably during the first quarter, and then went to bed about probably in the third quarter. So, I missed a good chunk of that game. Um, so, what 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 happened? What what was particularly chippy? Uh,
0: things things were just kind of simmering under the surface, and then um, at a point where the uh, the Bills had a chance to um, to go ahead, and I think they were down seventeen, but you know they were they had a chance to go down and score and, and make it a little bit more interesting. Uh, Josh Allen takes a takes a bad sack. Um, And – but the the thing is like they had him in the grasp and so they whistled it dead and then after that, a Chiefs player kind of threw him to the ground. And Josh Allen did not take kindly to this. Sure, He's a big guy. Yeah. So he's on the ground and he just kind of flips the ball at the Chiefs player. Mm. And – one of his offensive linemen comes in and then um just, you know, decks, like like shoulder to shoulder like push shoves the um the chief's defender. And then it was a big mess. And the the funny thing is, so it takes him like seven minutes probably to sort all of this out with the officials. And it's all just resolved with offsetting personal fouls. Oh classic. Yeah. Nobody yeah. gets tossed, nobody it's just like all of that, and it meant nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, in any case, um, the uh, it, I think that sets up to be a pretty good Super Bowl: Chiefs and and Buccaneers. Don't yeah, you? yeah,
1: it should be good. A potential passing of the torch from uh, he who shall not be named to uh, Patrick <laughs> Mahomes, right? Like, sort of this, yeah. like we're moving on from this older gentleman
0: to to the young, uh, yeah, best quarterback in the league. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh off the field, there's some uh there's some rumblings, some rumors that I thought you as a Jets fan might want to address. Well,
1: we also uh, the Bucks are playing the first home Super Bowl ever. Yes. So so good point. Yes. Tampa's hosting the Super Bowl and the Bucks obviously playing Tampa. Yeah. So, interest, very very interesting.
0: Yeah, first time in 55 years. Yeah.
1: Um but anyway, the trade rumors.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, you're the Jets fan, so you should probably address these
1: yeah, so, oh, probably this time last week, uh, it became known that the Sean Watson, who's a quarterback for the Houston Texans, mm-hmm. was unhappy in a situation, which is understandable. Yeah, uh, they keep trading talent. um, it feels like they're tanking. yep. um, and so he uh it was rumored that he had requested a trade. And so any team that like needs a quarterback sees his talent and just goes, Oh my goodness, we'd love to have him. Yeah, my jets included. Sure. Um and the Jets have a plethora of picks and all and, and all these things. Um and uh and then I think what really revved this up was Deshaun Watson came out with a public wish list. Yeah. Um which we can debate the merits of a public wish list from a from a quarterback. But um the Jets were right at the top, which I don't know that he'll end up there, uh, just because I'm not sure the cap and everything works out that way. But it does say that like there's good word of mouth about the Jets. Like like players believe good things are happening there.
0: Yeah. I, I, I have to admit though to being confused because you would think that a quarterback would want to go a place where there is talent at the skill positions around you. You know, mm-hmm. someone to throw the ball to, a, a gifted running back to take pressure off you as a quarterback. And cur- as currently constituted, the Jets mm-hmm. do not have that.
1: I think is currently constituted it's better than the Texans.
0: Yeah. Okay, but that's not saying a lot. <laughs>
1: yeah, um I think the Dolphins are probably a a better fit for him. Uh I think the I think talent-wise. Talent-wise, yeah, the Dolphins take a I think we're 10 and 6 this year. I think he probably takes them to He's at least worth one or two more wins. I would think so. Um over Ryan Fitzpatrick or uh Tua. Tua. Yeah. Um
0: and that's another piece, quite frankly, that the Dolphins could trade if they wanted to. They could yes. they could trade a young quarterback, which would be attractive, you would think, to Houston. Sure, yeah. As a – let's give him a year, see how he pans out. And if he doesn't, then we go get another quarterback. But at least you have something to start with in terms of getting a replacement for Deshaun Watson.
1: Yeah. Um, it's interesting how regularly these young quarterbacks are being traded and moved around the league. Um it was really unheard of until probably Josh Rosen started moving.
0: Well, it's – I mean it, it's its definitely accelerated. It, it's become clear that – I mean it used to be that teams would draft a quarterback and they'd ride it out for three years. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and mean, he sat on the bench behind Favre for how many years? Three, four? four?
1: Yeah, four I think. Uh, Tom Brady, sort of the same thing.
0: Yeah. And so now it – yeah, you know, I mean Tua, that was Tua's rookie year, was it not? Is oh he, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, coming off an injury, right? And so already the Dolphins are making it pretty clear they're like, eh, we're not convinced that Tua is necessarily the guy. Like they're yeah. not quite ready to get rid of him, but they're they're open to getting rid of him. And you know you just think one year—that's all you're giving a guy.
1: Well, one year coming off an injury. Yeah, it's not like he was perfectly healthy. Was in camps also in an odd year. At right. that, you yeah. know, it's not like he had training camps all summer and all these things. Yeah, I, I think they're cutting – I think they're cutting the court on 2 way too quickly.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Um, it's just it, the league has evolved to a point where they expect now a quarterback to show his worth basically in a year to two years. Now, you know, um, uh, Josh Allen, mm-hmm. Buffalo had a little bit more patience. His first year was not great but he's taking these big steps forward each year to the point where now- Third year. Yeah, yeah he's he's a terrific NFL quarterback.
1: Well, the formula seems to be uh, you got to win in the first five years of a quarterback's career um, because that's when their contract is sort of uh, uh, deflated a little bit from being a rookie. Uh, you're able to spend money at other positions, but once you hit that Fifth and sixth year, you got to pay the guy and then you can't put that money at the rest of the right. positions. Um, and you can compete. You can be competitive, but you can't win right. quite as easily unless you have Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, sure. you know, one of these three, four, five guys that are right. amazing.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the NBA. Um One of the bigger stories this past week in the NBA was you finally had the big three in New Jersey playing together. You had Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden now um, all together finally. And uh, I think the first game they played, I forget who they beat, but everyone was beside themselves with, oh, this is going to be amazing. This is awesome. And then they lost to the Cavs with all three of those players on the floor and then it was this is never going to work this is a disaster like you know it, it it's a classic overreaction
1: yeah give it give it 3 months you it, know <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i mean even when you think back to like lebron in miami they started slow right until they until him till he and bosh and wade figured out how do we play well together so um i think the the jury's out a little bit too early there but the fact that uh Cleveland beat them twice. Yeah, this back back to
1: back nights, right?
0: Uh, back to back games. I think there was a gap of there was a day in, in between.
1: between. Okay. Um. Now, having said that, that we want to wait. I do have my concerns about those three. Oh sure. Um, really, more two of them. I don't have as many concerns about Durant, uh, but Kyrie and Harden. I I have some. I think legitimate concerns about their ability to
0: have chemistry with others. Basically. Yes. Yeah, and I think they're going to have to figure out a way to. Um, they're going to need to figure out a way to manage the the rotations on that. So, in any case, and who who's going to play defense on that team? Uh, last note here: there was also a little under the surface uh, rumblings about college basketball doing away with the conference tournaments this year because of some COVID concerns. So, uh, that's something we'll kind of keep an eye on. I know uh, Michigan paused basketball activities for two weeks because of COVID stuff. So, these things are going to pop up. Yeah, and we will we'll follow them and see where they take us. But we're hopeful that this year we can actually do a bracket challenge.
1: Yeah, I think it'd be it'd be a huge fail in the NCAA if we didn't have a national tournament this year for basketball, right? I mean, it'd be colossal.
0: I would think so. I would think that they could do something of a sort of mini bubbles at these pods enough to probably make that happen.
1: Yeah, um, but let's turn to our main topic for today. Okay. Uh, so, Doc, today's a big day for you. It is. Um, do you want to tell the listeners why that is? Um, it's sitting here on Monday, January 25th.
0: Yeah. So when this launches, when this podcast is launched uh, in terms of this episode drops. On the 26th. On the 26th. That will be the official launch day here in the United States for my latest book, the servant of the Lord and His servant people. So it's kind of like a birthday.
1: It's it's kind of like a birthday that comes once. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we won't be celebrating this next January. No, 26th.
1: no, I don't. I don't <laughs> think so. Um, it's so. Yeah, it's kind of like a birthday, but not really. Um, yeah. So the servant of the Lord and His servant people. That's what we're talking about today. That's going to be our main topic, um, Doc. Um, the the question I hate the most about book interviews. Um, I'm I'm about to ask it to you.
0: <laughs> What's your book about? Yes. So um, as, as as you might suspect from the title of the book, this is a, this is a situation where the title of the book actually gives you some indication of what the book is about. Sometimes that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. But no joke. But this is uh, a a truth entitling kind of experience here with this particular book. So. Uh, the the, the, uh, the the theme of the servant of the Lord is probably relatively well-known to a lot of our listeners, especially mm-hmm. if you think of um, the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 and, um, and then how some of that language gets applied to Jesus in the New Testament. So that's where if people tend to be familiar with this concept of the servant of the Lord, uh, that's what they probably tend to think of first. But uh this book uh is trying to show that that it's a much larger theme that runs from Genesis to revelation and goes beyond just the suffering servant of isaiah fifty three and even just beyond Jesus hmm. as the fulfillment of the suffering servant
1: and i want to I want to talk more about that in a minute um, but uh, it's in a series that you really appreciate. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about the series sure. uh, that it's in?
0: Yeah. So this is part of the New Studies in Biblical Theology series. And um, if you're into reading uh, theological books, my guess is you might recognize the covers because they're all pretty consistent. They're a a silver cover with um, black print for the uh, title and such, and then a Picture that in some way relates to typically some work of art that relates to the um, to the title of the book or to some theme of the book, and uh, it's a series edited by D. A. Carson, mm-hmm. and it really is one of the um, I would say one of the premier biblical theology series, and one of the one of the first really to kind of catch the wave or really start the wave of uh, books about biblical theology as opposed to uh, systematic theology and making that distinction, which typically involves tracing themes through the canon or looking at the theological emphases of a particular biblical author or a particular biblical book.
1: And uh, where's the reading level for this? Like is it it for – my goodness, a brand-new Christian? Is it for – PhD candidates only like like where's the there's a there's a lot of play in there yes. but but, but yes. where does this book fit in?
0: I would say it's uh, it's an intermediate level kind of read, meaning that um, this is not something you would probably want to hand to a brand new Christian. Um, the the target audience tends to be uh, pastors or seminary students. Uh, or you know the the sort of uh, the the well-read layperson. You don't have to have a seminary degree to read this or appreciate this. Um, uh, but it is going to be a little bit more technical. So, uh, if you know uh, a few months ago we talked about my book, Rebels and Exiles, mm-hmm. that was written at a little bit uh, lower level in terms of try to be a little bit more accessible, use a little less technical language less interaction with uh, other scholars and that sort of thing. This book kind of takes a step up when it comes to uh, doing a little bit more interaction with scholarship and trying to uh, situate itself within the larger scholarly conversation. But the audience is still oriented towards um, the the well-read layperson, the pastor, maybe the Bible college student or seminary student as well.
1: And you, but you still shoot to be readable, right? Sure. You, you know, you, I know you well enough to know that you don't write things that <laughs> aren't readable, right? Or you certainly don't aim for
0: that. Yeah, and um, I mean, my wife read through this book and did just fine, and she's a she's a smart woman, mm-hmm. but um, she has no formal biblical or theological training, so to speak, and so she was able to to read it just fine.
1: So let, let's turn to the the servant of the Lord uh, topic itself. Yeah. I think, like you said, most people are probably familiar with there's the suffering servant in Isaiah. Um, there's Jesus, who you know we, we connect those dots, right, yep. between Jesus and the suffering servant. But part of the argument that you make in this book is that it expands beyond that, I'm really beginning with Adam. Um, do you want to do you want to talk about how you see that theme, maybe develop a little bit? Sure.
0: So, um, the one of the basic. Uh, thrusts of the book is to contend that all throughout redemptive history, from Genesis through Revelation, God has this consistent pattern of raising up individual servants, a a key leader whom he uses to produce a servant people. Hmm. And so that begins in the garden with Adam. And it continues through key individuals throughout the Old Testament. And then ultimately that culminates in the person of Jesus. But it goes beyond Jesus to the apostles and then ultimately to us as the church today. That there's this pattern of individual leaders that God raises up to produce a servant people. And these these leaders usually fulfill either – all or at least some of, of, of these following functions of a a royal function, a sort of ruling function, a prophetic function where they communicate the words of God and a priestly function. And so um, each of these key leaders typically fulfills all three at some level, um, but all in the interest of creating a servant people who walk faithfully with the Lord.
1: Hmm. Um. And and uh, having skimmed the book at least, uh, uh, you name individuals uh, that that embody that sort of uh, role of being a servant. Is there anyone that's uh, surprised you as you were working through this study?
0: Yeah. So each, in fact, each chapter is um, oriented around one particular servant. So there are chapters on uh, Adam and Moses, Joshua, David, the Suffering Servant. Jesus, the apostles, and then um, the church as a corporate body. So um, I think that working through those, um, I think arguably the one that I enjoyed the most uh, in, in terms of just working through it f- from a fresh perspective was uh, was Joshua. You know, uh,
1: I was driving a Joshua in my head when I asked that <laughs> question, so I'm glad you said that
0: yeah because it's, it's, he's one of those characters that um, the way that the book of Joshua is structured, the whether it was Joshua himself or someone else, uh, it's it's oriented towards showing you that he's the the, the the new servant of the Lord, but not explicitly telling you that hmm. until the last chapter of the book. interesting. So it shows how um, how Joshua is doing the same kinds of things that Moses, the servant of the Lord, did. And mm-hmm. he's doing what Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. And God is doing similar things through him that he did through Moses, the servant of the Lord. And then you get to the final chapter when it records Joshua's death. And it hasn't called him the servant at all throughout the whole book. And then it says at the end of Joshua, it says... So Joshua, the servant of the Lord, died. Hmm. So it's it's built all the way up to so the, the the careful reader when he gets to that goes, well, obviously, <laughs> like you, you've done everything but say it explicitly that this yeah. is the new servant.
1: Now, um, I think I think as I track uh, the argument at least through the narrative that that Adam fulfills this role of servant of the Lord, Joshua does. Uh David does, uh the servant the the suffering servant does, Jesus does. And the Apostles does. That those all make a lot of sense to me. But then you take a turn in in not in the eighth chapter, I think it is, where where you say the church uh then fulfills this role. Could you flesh that out and, and what what
0: implications does that have yeah. uh for us today? So I think that um there's there's a few different ways to get at this. The, uh, the first is to uh, look at the pattern up to that point of God raising up these key individuals mm-hmm. to create a servant people. And then when you get to the church, you see a few different things happening where the first is you have Jesus, the servant of the Lord par excellence, like the ultimate mm-hmm. fulfillment of that. He is living inside of his people to do servant things, to empower them to be able to do servant things that include aspects of ruling, of of stewardship and bringing things, bringing uh, order out of chaos, Mm -hmm. um, of communicating God's word in a prophetic role, and also having a priestly function and mediating God's presence wherever they go. So the church, when you look at uh, some of the descriptions of how the church is to live, Servant language is used to portray that, and when you combine that with the pattern established earlier in uh, Scripture of individual servants leading to a servant people, along with the indwelling servant empowering God's people to live, I think you have the picture of we as the church are a servant people, and that title of servant and you'll. You'll see this in the in the chapter titles. the The servant title is a um, is a supportive title, meaning it's often paired with other titles or roles. So you have a servant king, you have a servant prophet, you have a servant priest. and so that that idea of a servant actually informs. What we're to think about these other roles of king and prophet and priest hmm. as a sort of way of further defining what does it mean to be a king? Well, it's a servant king. Well, that's a different picture than what, we, what the world might think Absolutely. of as a king. Yeah. So the, this, this servant theme provides a supporting role in fleshing out other key biblical theological pictures of, um, of, of key leaders.
1: Hmm. And so, it could give a, if I could take that to its conclusion. It gives us a, an idea of how uh, we may rule, or we we may show stewardship, or how we may uh, 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 communicate God's blessing to, to
0: others. Yeah, and it creates it creates a mentality. I think if you understand mm-hmm. it properly, in terms of um, our mentality as believers, as we enter into this world and interact with our, the world around us, with fellow believers and non-believers. Should be the mindset of a servant that we are mm. servants of the great king, of the great priest, of the great prophet, and that our role is to um, advance his purposes in this creation. And I think um, when you, uh, one of the one of the things that Jesus uh, teaches in the Gospels that just always resonates with me is I, I forget I'll forget the specific location off the top of my head, but there's a. There's a passage where Jesus talks about um, essentially when a servant does what a servant's supposed to do, that basically the joy of the servant is hearing from his from from his master, well done, mm-hmm. like like that that we should have that mentality of I think sometimes we get so entitled, <laughs> yeah, and I think. That that's not a good biblical picture. Like obviously, there's a place for us affirming and encouraging others. I'm not denying that, but sometimes we get upset when people when we feel like we're not getting recognized for what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, when we when we understand that we are servants of the King, and that that's who uh, we answer to, and He will on the last day acknowledge and recognize all the different forms of service that often go unrecognized. I mean, think about, you know, we tend to identify when it comes to big things happening in ministry contexts or that sort of thing. Oh, well that was, you know, that we attribute that to that pastor or that ministry leader that did this or preached this sermon or did this and we are I think often so blind to the reality of we don't put enough emphasis on or even recognize the faithful prayer warriors who are praying like crazy for that mm-hmm. thing to to for God to move through that or even you know you think about the the older saints many of whom aren't physically able anymore to go out and do things but are faithful prayer warriors like that's a form of service that we often just don't fully recognize but God does yeah but God does.
1: Um, just one more question on the book. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'd like to – because I have you here, I can pull back the curtain a little bit for others and talk <laughs> about process. Sure. Um, this topic, uh, what's the journey been like to it, uh, uh, tracing this theme? What What really led you to writing a proposal for this book? And
0: Yeah. So um, this in one sense comes out of originally my dissertation work. So I wrote my dissertation – on um, basically, on Paul's use of Isaiah in Galatians, how the argument theology of Isaiah shapes the way that Paul presents his understanding of the gospel, his own understanding of his apostolic ministry. And so, in that, uh, in Galatians, you see Paul apply servant language to both uh, himself and his role as an apostle, and also Jesus as the one who dies for our sins. Mm-hmm. And that kind of that, – that sort of resonated in my, in my head for a long time even after the dissertation was done and thinking, I think there's more to this than that. And then beginning to see other figures in scripture referred to as the servant of the Lord such as David or even Moses and thinking this is bigger than just Isaiah and the New Testament. There's something more here. And so that just kind of rattled around in my head for probably – I mean I finished my dissertation in 2006, probably another five or six years minimum. I just kind of of had ideas about this and would jot some stuff down. Hmm. And then I sat down for a a few days on vacation in the lovely Hocking Hills of Ohio. You've been there, right? Haven't you been there? I don't
1: think I've been there. Um, But it sounds like a place where inspiration strikes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And finally I just decided I'm going to write up a proposal – and i'm going to i'm going to send it to don carson and just take a shot just you know see if he if 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 he if he nibbles on it see if he bites hmm. and much to my delight and surprise he gave a qualified perhaps <laughs> <laughs> and um he had a few had a few questions that he wanted me to clarify are you saying this are you not saying this what would this look like and after some <laughs> some back and forth um he said, yeah i like this let's let's move forward sweet and that was like in 2014 twenty thirteen and here we are in twenty twenty one um i had a few other projects lined up before that, yeah, so i wrote the i wrote probably the oh gosh i don't know seventy five percent of this book i wrote uh in let's see it would have been twenty twenty nineteen it was okay. the year. It was the year of the, of the second mystery trip because I remember writing, taking. Oh yeah. When we were at various points mm. um, in uh, Helsinki and uh, in London in particular. Getting, yeah, yeah, getting yeah. Writing.
1: Yeah. yeah, and
0: you went up to uh, T- Tindall House. Yeah, Tindall House at, at Cambridge University. Yeah, house. that's that's great. And so uh, wrote almost yeah like seventy five eighty percent of it in the year twenty nineteen and then these these inevitably take a year when it comes to going through the editorial process and all that kind of stuff. So that's why here we are very early 2021. This did come out in the in the uh, UK back in December. This although it's published here in the United States by University Press in the UK it's published by Apollos which is which IVP has a relationship with and so um so that's why it was available in the UK back in December and now it's just catching up here in the States.
1: Well very cool. And where can people get it if they want it?
0: Yes. So um there's this very again, small mom and pop operation known as <laughs> Amazon.com where you can find it available. And actually, uh you have a little bit of business to announce in, in regards to this.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um we recommend a lot of books. We do. Uh, so I was thinking, my goodness, is there a way we can make some some cash? Because podcasts don't happen for free. Um, we, we do pay out of pocket for yeah. what we do here. Um, but there is a, a free way. We have provided a link. Uh, and if you buy the book by clicking this link in the show notes, uh, we actually get a 10% or something like that kickback from Amazon. So um, – but yeah, if you want to help us out, and you're thinking, well, I'm going to buy this book anyway. It's not going to cost you any extra. Um, but use the link in the show notes, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll get a little uh, get a little piece of that action. Yeah. So
0: I, I appreciate you sitting down with Jeff Bezos mm-hmm. and negotiating such a uh, lucrative deal for us. Well, you John. know,
1: me and Jeff go way back, <laughs> um, and and we were able to strike something over uh, uh, many cups of coffee and uh, many late evenings, but. We we've we've arrived at a deal. We have. So. Yes. Yes,
0: we have. All so, right, we're ready to turn to Athlete. I think we're ready for the
1: Athlete. Why, yes. why why don't you work us through our athletes?
0: Yeah, so um episode 56. Mhm. And um not a ton of choices. You know, 50 the 50s tend to be in football uh, offensive linemen sometimes. Sure. And uh not a ton of options typically among basketball players, or uh, or even really hockey, probably, but we do have a few. We've got uh, Lawrence Taylor. That's a pretty good one. That's a good one. Yeah, um, arguably the greatest linebacker in NFL history. He's, he's certainly in that yeah. conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, played for the Giants for thirteen years. There, we might circle back to him. Uh, Sergey Zubov uh, I'm gonna have to plead ignorance here I I don't know anything about him other than he played in the NHL from 1988 to
1: tw- 2010 Do yeah you? Uh, no but he's got a great name
0: I think he played for the Rangers so I thought you thought that might register for you uh,
1: I don't remember him. Um, now, I I really paid attention to the Rangers like 93, 94, 95 when they won the Stanley Cup. I was, I yeah. was big. He wouldn't have been on the team then. I'd recognize that name. So, no. Uh,
0: and then uh, Mark Burley, pitcher best known for his time with the White Sox. I think so. Yeah. Uh, pitched from uh, 2000 to 2015, left-hander. I became – Uh, Kind of familiar with him. I was living in Chicago when the White Sox won the World Series. That would have been 2004. That sounds right. Is he the one that threw the no
1: hitter that got, or the almost no hitter that the first base umpire made a bad call? And
0: I don't think so. I I do think Burley did throw a no hitter, but I don't think that. I think you're uh, okay. I'm mixing them up. Okay. And then for Ohio State, you have. Darian Scott was a defensive end from 2000 to 2003, played on their national championship team and was drafted by the Vikings in the NFL. So uh, who, who do you like out of that list, John? Um,
1: I mean horrible human <laughs> but great football player. Lawrence Taylor is probably who I have.
0: I think so as well. Um, I, I listened to this uh, podcast called uh, Sports Criminals. And they did an episode on him. Um, he was a, uh, a freakish athlete but uh, – broke, broke Joe Theismann's leg, right? Yeah, yeah. And he had, uh, he had a pretty serious drug problem. Like he would play NFL games while high on cocaine. Wow. Which is just remarkable to think about. Um, and so he's kind of had some on-again, off-again issues with drugs throughout his life. Um, but a fierce, fierce – uh, linebacker. And so I think I think we should go with him. Yeah. Yeah. Lawrence Taylor it is. Okay. Uh, one thing you liked. Let's start with you, John.
1: Yeah. Mine's really simple. Uh, this week, uh, the Bernie Sanders memes uh, started <laughs> yes. and just didn't stop. Uh, yes. And I was here for every moment of it. I loved it.
0: Yes. Yes. In a very divided country, um, that might be the sole, single unifying thing from this past week that happened.
1: It was fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So many. Uh, I saw uh, Karen Swallow Prior uh, changed her Twitter profile pic. Uh, somebody had photoshopped her face on there. Um, he was in a number of a number of memes uh, that were that were wonderful.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's good stuff. Um, it and something honestly that we needed. And in, in just in terms of, with all of the political unrest and such, having something that both that basically all parts of the political spectrum could look at and go, that's really funny. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think one of my favorites was uh, I think I think Lee and my life group sent this to me. My life group was sending out all the Bernie Sanders memes, uh, but Lee sent me one that was side by side. It said. Um, a Pentecostal not enjoying the sermon, and then the next one was a Baptist enjoying the sermon. Yes. And it was it was both pictures of Bernie Sanders. It was
0: it was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. Um, it was great. How about yourself, Doc? Yeah, so uh, I'm probably about uh, two thirds of the way through John Steinbeck's book *Grapes of Wrath*. Hmm. So I read, um, I've read *East of Eden*. I've read *Of Mice and Men*. Uh, I do enjoy Steinbeck. Uh, My wife likes to make fun of me because his books are depressing and Hmm. for whatever reason, I tend to gravitate towards those. I think in part because they do a great job of just showing the human condition Hmm. and both good and bad in the sense of sinful humanity but also examples of common grace that Mm -hmm. exist as well. And so uh, I'm enjoying – uh, Grapes of Wrath. Not quite as much as I enjoyed East of Eden, which is my favorite Steinbeck book. But I think you mentioned East of Eden a few weeks ago. Yeah. Maybe yeah. a couple months ago now. Yeah. I'm on a I'm a bit of a Steinbeck kick here. So I'm not sure what I'll read next after that, but okay. we shall see. We shall see. So are we ready to uh, call Mission Accomplished here? I think so. Yeah. So NFL playoffs – Uh, The Servant of the Lord and His Servant People. Go follow that link that we'll have in the show notes. Make us wealthy entrepreneurs along with Jeff Bezos, Mm -hmm. uh, Lawrence Taylor, uh, Bernie Sanders memes, and Mm -hmm. the Grapes of Wrath. I think we have lived up to our pledge to you to discuss various and sundry topics. And so until next time, the Lord bless you all real good. Later.